hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. I have been just sensing all day that God wants to do something special here tonight. And so would you guys take a moment and let's just all close our eyes, bow our heads, and let's just invite the Lord to come and meet us tonight. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place to come and stir in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the miracle of your word. Lord, that it is, uh, that it is good for instructing us, that it teaches us uh, the truth and teaches us about the most important things in your kingdom. So Lord, I pray that you'd give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you tonight. And Lord, that you would help us uh, to understand and see things that we could not see before. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, we spent the last few weeks doing a series here at our city 6 p.m. service called Miracles. And in this series, we have been exploring what it looks like to walk out a life of faith that invites God to move both in us and through us in miraculous ways. And I just want to say, I love miracles. Some of the most exciting moments in my own walk with God have been the times when I have seen him suddenly make what seemed impossible, possible. I've had the privilege of seeing deaf ears open up, dislocated knees suddenly popping back in without anyone touching them, and money come in when we weren't sure where it would come from. I've seen prophetic words unshackle hearts, seen relationships restored, and even witnessed God messing with the electrical grid of my hometown, something that I will tell you a bit more about in just a little bit. But I love watching God move in miraculous ways. And tonight, I want to explore with you one of the miracles that God has been doing countless times in countless lives across the pages of history. It's a miracle that is a bit like gravity or like the blowing of the nor'wester wind in that you can't really see it with your eyes, but you know that it's there because you can see its effect on the things around it. This miracle sometimes comes like a roaring fire and other times comes like the whisper among close friends. It's a miracle that breathes life into what was once dead and causes it to live once more. It's a miracle that perhaps you yourself have experienced or perhaps something that you would like to experience. And the miracle that I want to talk to you about tonight is salvation. And I believe that the purpose of all of the other miracles that God does is to lead people towards experiencing this miracle. And that's why it could be said that the greatest miracle is salvation. Once upon a time, there was a young man who grew up on a farm in North Carolina. His parents were Christians, but the faith of his parents never really appealed to him. And so he would go along with them to church services, but he did it kind of begrudgingly. And as soon as the service ended, he was out of there as fast as he could. And um, this was true for a number of years, until one day a visiting preacher came to town, and this preacher preached a message of repentance. 
Now, the style of this preacher would probably be something that we would call fire and brimstone, uh, which is a little bit uh, not popular uh, with many people today. And so many of this young man's friends and peers didn't really like this visiting preacher or his abrasive way of delivering the message of the gospel. And so for the first few days that this visiting preacher was in town, uh, our young man refused to go and hear him speak. But this firecracker of a preacher said some things that were very controversial. And at one point, a whole bunch of the young people in town got fed up and they said, we're going to go down and protest down at the tent where this guy is speaking. So our young man was looking to see a little drama, maybe a fight, wasn't sure. So he thought he'd go down and check it out. And so he goes down to this tent. And as soon as the young man arrived, the visiting preacher began to speak. And despite the abrasive style of preaching, there was something about the words that that man was speaking that seemed to grip the young man's heart. And so he sat there, spellbound, listening to the message. And he didn't realize it at first, but the Spirit of God was moving on this young man's heart in that moment and drawing him to himself. The young man attended meetings in that tent over the next few weeks and increasingly began to feel grieved as he started to realize that the way he was living his life was actually in rebellion to the God who loved him. Finally, at the end of one of the meetings, a large number of townsfolk were gathered and the visiting preacher gave an invitation. He invited anyone who wanted to to come up and make a choice to turn from their sinful lifestyle and receive salvation. The young man felt gripped by a desire to go to the front of the room, and as he got out of his chair and walked up, he felt as though there were lead weights attached to his feet. But even so, he got to the front, and he kneeled, and a person came over to him and prayed with the young man and walked him through a prayer to receive salvation. Our young man was filled with an inner sense of peace, the likes of which he had never experienced before. And in that moment, the Spirit of Christ himself came to live on the inside of him, and it would lead him on a journey that he never would have imagined was possible. In that, young, in that moment, that young man received salvation. And I love his story because it is the story of all of us ordinary people who are just going about our lives unaware that there is something and someone who is pulling the strings of our life and drawing us closer and closer to himself. And you know, with this young man, angels didn't sing at his birth. Prophets didn't anoint him at a young age. He was just simply an ordinary teenager growing up in a relatively unremarkable part of the United States. And yet in that moment, on the sawdust-covered floor of the tent, the ordinariness of this young man's story was suddenly joined to the extraordinariness of an unfolding greater story that would transform him and the lives of many others. This young Mr. Graham, or Billy, as his friends and family would call him, would go on to become one of the greatest messengers of the gospel of the last century, sharing the gospel with an estimated 215 million people across 185 countries. 
Billy Graham preached powerfully, pastored presidents and prime ministers, and was an important voice in the U.S. civil rights movement that led to the ending of segregation in America. And it all began with a simple prayer that was prayed on the floor of a tent while Billy kneeled in the dust. And if God can do all of that with an ordinary teenager from North Carolina, what might God want to do with ordinary people like you and me? The greatest miracle is salvation because it leads to a transformed life that transforms others. Now, if the greatest miracle is salvation, well then what is salvation? Well, to find out, let's take a look at the story of a curious Pharisee who wondered the same thing 2,000 years ago. So if you guys got your Bibles with you this evening, go ahead and turn with me to the book of John, chapter 3. So in Jesus' time, there's this group of religious leaders called Pharisees, and they tend to be somewhat annoyed with Jesus most of the time. But there were a few exceptions. There was a man named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee who recognized that the signs and wonders that Jesus did was a clear indication that he had been sent from God. However, at the time, it was a little embarrassing as a Pharisee to be seen talking to Jesus because it meant that you had to kind of go against the rest of the crowd and, you know, the nail that sticks out gets hammered. So Nicodemus gets around this by coming to Jesus undercover at nighttime in the dark, and hopefully no one would see him. It was a bit of a weasel, eh? Unfortunately for him, the apostle John wrote all about him in this really famous publication called The Bible. Might have heard of it. And uh, unfortunately, Nicodemus's weaselness has been read about by countless millions throughout history. So much for going undercover, eh? But on a bright note, the conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus tells us all about what it means to be saved. So let's take a look at verse 1 in John chapter 3. You see that it reads, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, I think it's interesting because Jesus redirects his attention here to the purpose of all those signs and wonders. And verse 3 says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. What a strange thing to say. In order to see and experience the kingdom of God, a person has to be born again. I mean, how can a person be born more than once? Well, apparently Nicodemus wondered the same thing. In verse 4, he says, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. 
And I think it's very interesting that Jesus uses the language of being born again here because it's interesting. The Bible teaches us that we are born with a sinful nature. And so our natural bend is to resist and rebel against God. And sometimes it's in ways that are conscious and then sometimes it's in ways that are unconscious. Some ways are big and some ways are small. This nature is seen in the bloodshed of countless wars and atrocities throughout history. And this nature is also seen in a toddler smacking another toddler in the face when they won't share their cookies. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. <laughs> and while those two examples are not equal to each other, they do come from the root of the same tree. Though we are born alive physically, we are born dead spiritually. And that's a problem. So what Jesus is saying is that it is not enough for us to simply try to pick up some good habits or try our best to be a good person because we can't actually change our behavior to please God. We actually need nothing less than a resurrection from the dead on the inside. We need to be born again. We need a completely new start. And we need to leave behind our old life and be born again into a new life. We need salvation. The other thing about being born again is that being born isn't exactly something that you can do for yourself. You know, if you're going to be born, somebody else is going to have to do the pushing. And so in the same way, Salvation, or being born again, is not something that you can do for yourself. To be born again by the Spirit means the Spirit of God is going to have to do all of the work to make it happen. So at this point in our passage, Nicodemus is still a bit confused. Jesus challenges him, pointing out that as a teacher who is very familiar with the written Word of God, Nicodemus should already understand something about this truth. And then Jesus says this amazing statement in verse 14. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, why is this an amazing statement? Well, it's an amazing statement because the story that Jesus is referencing is found in the book of Numbers. And it speaks of a time when the people of Israel were under God's judgment for turning their hearts against him. And so in this story, people are being bitten by snakes and they're dying. But at one point, some of the people of Israel spoke to Moses and pleaded with him to ask God for mercy on their behalf. And at that point, God told Moses to make a bronze serpent on a pole and to lift it up in the middle of the camp. And once he had done this, everyone who simply looked upon the bronze snake was healed. Now, this is an interesting picture because I think it was a, a foreshadowing of another pole that would be lifted up. Sin is like the venom of a snake that slowly kills its victims. And Jesus is saying here that just as that bronze snake was lifted up and all who looked upon it were healed, so also he would be lifted up when he hung on the cross. And all who look to him for mercy will be healed from that which would otherwise kill them. 
So in his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus is referencing an act of God that happened thousands of years before that was a picture of what Jesus was about to accomplish himself. I love the way the Bible is all knit together. But this time, the healing wouldn't be available just to a small group of people in the desert. But now the healing would be made available to anyone and everyone who desired to be set free from the disease of sin. All they have to do is look to the Son of Man who is lifted up on a cross for them. Jesus continues his explanation to Nicodemus in verse 16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Why did Jesus go to the cross for the sins of humanity? It's because he loved us. The promise of Jesus is that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And this word that we get saved uh, in this verse, or salvation, in the Greek is sozo, which means to be saved, healed, and delivered. It's a word that describes a process of going from danger into safety, from sickness into wellness, and from brokenness into wholeness. To put it simply, salvation is the miracle of being rescued. And it is God's desire for all of us to be rescued. Our sin puts us in peril. And while it doesn't always feel like the funnest thing to share about, the Bible does promise us that the punishment for sin is eternal judgment. So we need to be rescued. But we aren't just rescued from something, rescued into something. And the Bible tells us that when we believe in Jesus and accept the payment of his blood that he shed on the cross for our sins, we will be granted a full pardon. Even better, we will be invited into the kingdom of God. And the Spirit of God will come and live on the inside of us. You know, healings are amazing. Prophecies are powerful. Breakthroughs are beautiful. But I have never seen a miracle more powerful in my own life than to watch God invite a poor and undeserving sinner like me into the riches and the glory of his presence. The greatest miracle truly is salvation. Another reason that I believe salvation is the greatest miracle is the fact that all of the other miracles that God does seems to be for the purpose of leading people to this miracle. A consistent pattern throughout the New Testament was that salvations would follow miracles. Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead and people are gripped with wonder. God uses Peter and John to heal a crippled man and thousands get saved. A scared Saul is knocked off his donkey by a blinding light and becomes the persevering Paul 
who leads untold thousands into salvation. The purpose of miracles is to lead people into relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that people will always choose that, but it does mean that when they're witnessing a miracle, it often presents people with the realization that God is real and that they have a choice to either step towards him or away from him. And one way I've seen this happen in my own life is through a curious series of, of events involving a friend of mine and God using the electrical grid of my hometown to speak to him. So this goes back to when I was a teenager growing up in the U.S. state of Michigan. And one night I am driving home and it's dark and I'm coming up to this street light. And as I'm getting close to it, I notice that the street light turns off. And so I didn't really think much of it. You know, bulbs do burn out occasionally. So the next night I'm driving in a different part of my town and I notice a street light turns off in a different spot. And so again, you know, coincidences happened, didn't think too much of it. The next night, I'm driving in my town, different street, different place, different street light. The light turns off. What are the odds that three nights in a row I would bear witness to three different light bulbs burning out? I thought, maybe I'll buy a lottery ticket. Then it gets even stranger. It went from happening like once a day, and it started happening three, four, five times a day. And, you know, sometimes it, it wasn't just the street lights either. It was signs that were lit up on the side of the road. And, you know, if that wasn't weird enough, I would watch in my rearview mirror as I would drive away, and the, si the, uh, the signs or the street lights, they would actually turn back on as I drove away from them. And so, Honestly, I started off really skeptical and I kept trying to think of rational explanations for why the streetlights of my hometown were turning off and on as I drove past them. But after a few weeks of this, I started to at least ask the question of whether or not God was trying to speak to me through the uh, infrastructure of my hometown. But you know, I, I was a bit concerned because you know, watching lights get snuffed out isn't exactly the kind of message that you would want to see from God. So I was kind of asking myself, like, am I one sin away from being snuffed out myself? And so it was a little bit stressful. And so I went to my pastor and I explained the situation to him. And he did admit to me that he couldn't think of any scriptures that were relevant to my situation. Uh, but he did uh, pray for me and told me to do my best to try to stay on God's good side, which I'm pretty sure he was only half joking. And so these, these street lights and the road signs continue to turn off as I get close to them, and then they turn back on once I get past them. And so I'm telling this story to a couple of people, and one of my church friends says, oh, well, maybe it's just, you know, maybe they're like motion detector, you know, lights or whatever. And I said, yeah, I guess that's possible. So we have that conversation the next day. The lights don't just turn off. They're blinking in various patterns and doing all kinds of crazy things. And so it was almost as if God was saying, hello. It's not motion detectors. And so at this point, I finally came to accept that the only explanation left to me besides the Illuminati was that God himself was speaking to me through these streetlights. But I still didn't know 
why God would do something like that. So fast forward a little ways, and I'm hanging out one night with a childhood friend, and we're driving around my town, and you know, he's looking out the window, and he just kind of casually mentions, man, I said, I've seen like, like four or five lights turn off as we've gone past him. I said, that's really weird. I said, yeah, sorry. That kind of happens around me. He goes, what do you mean it happens around you? <laughs> and so I explain to him everything that I've just explained to you. And I tell him that I believe in God and I believe that God still speaks and still uh, does so in some mysterious and unexplainable ways and um, that that's what I believe this was. And he's quiet for a moment and he says, that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. And so we start just driving around and we start talking about faith and relationship with God and, and what it means to be saved. And, and we drove around for like two hours because I didn't really want the conversation to end. That was worth the large petrol bill. And um, anyway, after a while, I just, I got to a point where I was like, hey, it's getting kind of late. So I said, um, uh, I said, I'm getting a little bit tired, but if you want, uh, tomorrow's Sunday, I'm going to a church service. So maybe you could come stay at my house tonight. We can keep talking and um, then we'll go to church together tomorrow. He's like, oh yeah, I think I'd like that. So we go to his house, I pull into the driveway, he hops out to go inside and get his stuff. And as soon as he leaves the car, of course, I am praying and interceding, Lord, break into my friend's life. And after a few minutes, he comes back out of the house and walks over and puts his sleeping bag in the back of the car and then he gets in and he just kind of sits down and I notice he looks really pale. And I was like, I was like, are you okay? And he goes, I just went inside my house I went to turn on the light to go down the stairs to my bedroom. He said, and I took one step down the stairs and the light turned off by itself. He said, this is the freakiest thing that has ever happened to me before. So, I have a great chat that night. Next day, my friend comes with me to the church service and the pastor gives his message. And at the end of the service, my friend goes up to the front and asks the pastor to pray with him because he would like to become a follower of Jesus. Pretty amazing. So I have no explanation for the streetlights of my hometown doing what they did except to say that they were miracles. And it was amazing to watch, but the greatest miracle of the story isn't light bulbs turning on and off because, let's be honest, the God who holds all the stars in their places you know, it's not really hard for him to flip a switch on and off a few times on a few different streetlights. The real miracle of this story is the way that those lights communicated to my friend that there was a God who is real and who knew him. The purpose of the miracle of the lights was to lead to the miracle of a heart that turned towards God. And that is why I believe salvation is the greatest miracle. Would you guys stand with me? Have the band come back on up. So I want to give you guys an opportunity to respond to God tonight. And there are two 
invitations that I want to offer tonight. The first invitation is, of course, for anyone who is here tonight who is realizing that perhaps for the first time they are a sinner who is in need of being rescued. And if that's you, I want to offer you the chance to come up to the front in just a moment, and I would love to pray with you. We've got some other people that would love to pray with you. And I believe that you, if you are desiring the miracle of salvation tonight, that it is available for you. The other invitation that I want to offer tonight is for uh, all of us to think about someone we know who needs salvation. Maybe it's a workmate, maybe it's a husband, a wife, brother, sister, friends. Maybe it's a guy that we saw on the footpath, or maybe it's the bus driver. But ask God to bring somebody to mind right now. And I want you to just take a moment to hold that person in your mind. And we're just going to pray for the different people that God brings to mind. And let's believe that God truly is the God of miracles. And that if we dare to ask him again, maybe tonight's the time of breakthrough. So go ahead, just take the next moment. Pray for that person. creativity and that we would be caught up in the adventure 
of doing miracles unto seeing the transformation and the salvation of the people around us. Lord, equip us to be your mouthpiece. Equip us to be your healing hands and equip our feet to take the gospel where it hasn't gone before. We pray for your light to invade the lives of these ones whom you love. for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.